Welcome back to the Understanding Men podcast, which is basically two guys talking about things that men could but don't speak about anywhere near enough. I'm Luke Sutton, and I'm here once again with my great friend, Fraser Franks. Thank you for joining us for today's episode, and today's theme is fear. How much of our lives are dominated by it? Is it even a good thing or a bad thing? Do we really understand what impact fear has on us? And do we even understand what fear actually is? So Fraser and I are going to talk about all of that. But before we get there, I need to do my check-in with Fraser. Fraser, how are you? Eight weeks post-op. How are you feeling? Tell us what's going on. <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling good. It's the, it's the best I've felt in a, in a long time. You can probably tell by even things like my voice or my face. Yeah, I'm feeling feeling much, much better. I'm sleeping well. I'm eating well. I'm back moving a lot more. The valve is, I'm getting used to it. Now it's still, <laughs> it's just such a weird sensation, but I'm getting used to it. And, you know, the the advice I had before from the, uh, the experts was it would take three months to feel back to normal. So I'm two months in. So for like this last little month, you know, hopefully in four weeks time, I'll be pretty much back to, you know, 90 to 100 percent. So feeling Amazing. really good, really optimistic. Thank you. And I feel like that beard is growing with, I know for listeners, they can't see this, <laughs> but that beard's growing in line with how you're feeling. It's developing nicely, huh? It is, yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, to, today we're going to we're going to be talking about all things fear. And like I love to do on this podcast, I'm just going to immediately put Fraser on the spot with a question and we're just going to go from there. So Fraser, here's my question. How much of your life do you think has been dictated by fear? The vast, vast majority of it, I would say. I'd say it was the overriding feeling I had as a child, if I'm if I'm brutally honest, in in the home life that I had, I think fear was instilled into me very, very early on with some traumatic experiences and things I witnessed. So I think it was there very early on. I had it in school where I was a very nervous and shy child. And I feel like it probably dictated a lot of my professional football career where I was terrified for the majority of the time. And I think what we'll touch on within this is I think some of that fear drove me. I think there are healthy elements of having a degree of fear, but I think I didn't have the tools and the understanding of what fear was. If someone would have told me the emotion I was feeling was fear, I don't think I'd have fully understood it. And even just coming into this conversation around the topic of fear, which is something I've really been fascinated with pretty much since I stopped playing football. I've got an ex-teammate of mine called Drew Broughton, who is the fear coach on Instagram and social media. And I actually did one of his boot camp courses, just talking about fear and understanding it a little bit more, just because I was so fascinated by it. But I think if you'd have told me fear 10 years ago, I thought that was phobias. And I had a, it's quite a well-known manager when I went to Stevenage called Graham Wesley, very out there character. And he called me into the office when he was going to sign me. And he said to me, what are you scared of? And I said, nothing. And I, I genuinely didn't think I was. And he was like, spiders, heights, this, that, and just started naming things. And I remember just feeling, no, I'm not scared of anything. But looking back, it's more the internal side of things. 
I was terrified of, of so much. I was terrified of going into that meeting in the first place. I was terrified about what I was going to say to that response to the question. I was fearful that of how my career would go at Stevenage. I was fearful about money. I was fear, like all these things I was worried about, but I didn't really understand the term, I don't think. But yeah, it's something that I'm, I'm beginning to be a lot more fascinated by. It's an emotion that I have to identify quite quickly because it can it can send me down spirals that I don't want to go into and I have to try and detach myself from that. But I also do understand that there's a little element of fear that could be healthy. I don't think you can be completely fearless, but there's a an amazing book that I've got called Fearless and it's by Dr. Pippa Grange and she's a, like a psychologist. She's worked with the England football team, works a lot in sport and she says about you know, fearing less. And I think that's a, an amazing title for a book, but just a, a really nice way of understanding fear a little bit more. That it's going to be there at times, but how you can fear less and how you can how you can cope with that. Mm. And I'll do the exact same mm. and uh, and flip that over to you, mate. Because I know that you're, <laughs> I know that you probably felt a lot of this during your career. But even even now, looking from the outside, mm. I think I I see a man that doesn't <laughs> look riddled with fear at all. And you've given me some incredible advice on how to deal with certain situations. And I think you maybe identify that a lot more now than maybe you once did. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge, fear has been a huge topic for me through my own personal development, my own recovery through addiction, just my own recovery as a man, I guess. I always fall back on this. I can't even remember where I heard it, but, you know, the, the phrase or the the someone telling me that you don't learn patience without having to wait. You don't learn courage without having been scared. And I think of it with fear. You you don't learn to be fearless without having been fearful of something. You need the the both sides of it. And, and I think what I realise now looking back on my life was that in exactly the same way, I didn't recognise fear because maybe I didn't understand it. Maybe I grew up in a way which made me think fear was weakness. And and I want to talk about that more because that de- that definitely was there throughout my professional cricket career, that fear was weakness. I- I'll tell you about this one particular match I played in where I've thought about it for years and years and years and only just recently kind of found some peace with it. In cricket, when, when I was playing, the, the equivalent of the FA Cup final uh, one year was called the C&G Trophy. That, that was the biggest domestic cup. And I, I reached the final with Lancashire. We played Sussex. I think it was in 2006, I think. And we played at Lords in front of basically a full house. And it was our equivalent of an FA Cup final. And we fielded first, which meant I was wicket-keeping. And I never forget walking out through the long room at Lords. You know, it's the most iconic cricket venue in the world. Walking through, down the steps, onto the field. And the way it worked is one half of the ground to our left was Lancashire and to our right was Sussex. And it was just split down the middle. And I remember walking onto the field and all I kept saying to myself was, don't fuck up. Don't fuck up. <laughs> and I... I just, as in, don't drop a catch, don't make a mistake, just, you know, it was total fear, total fear. And I went through that game and I kept essentially perfectly, I didn't make a mistake, I didn't drop a ball, I took 
three catches or four catches. I can't remember in the stumping. Everything was absolutely spot on. And I remember coming away from that experience thinking, great players don't think like that. Great players don't think, don't mess up. They just think, I'm going to go out there and be amazing. I'm going to go out there and be amazing. And I used to sort of like think, well, that's why I'm not a great player because I'm driven by fear versus a great player who's driven by the opposite. I don't know, abundance of like, I'm just going to go and show off. And it used to always really, really bother me that there was this bit inside me which I thought was weakness. And then two or three years ago, I wrote a book about wicketkeeping, uh, which is obviously my kind of art within cricket. And I, and I interviewed some of the best wicketkeepers of all time, one of which was Jack Russell, very famous wicketkeeper and, and arguably the greatest wicketkeeper that England have ever produced, one of the maybe the best that the world has ever produced. And in my interview with him, talking away, I realized he was completely driven by fear as well. Exactly the same thing. Don't mess up. Don't mess up. He used to visualize how it would feel to make a mistake, how awful it would be for him and his family. And it used to just drive him through brick walls. And I thought, oh my God, he, a great, felt the same thing. And it dawned on me how misaligned and misconstrued my concept and perception was of fear how I saw it as a weakness, something that I mustn't tell people about, versus actually realising that fear is an enormously powerful and primal feeling that we all have within us, and it can drive us in different ways forward, that sometimes we can construe it as bad and sometimes we can construe it as good, but actually it's an enormously powerful emotion. Did you have a football games where you were, you were you know, crossing the the white line and thinking, don't mess up today. Is that how you felt? Or did you think, no, I'm going to go out there and smash it? No, it was, I'd say 99% of the time it was don't mess up. It's a strange one because I, I went into sort of an elite environment at Chelsea from the age of 10, I was, when I went into that environment. And as soon as I stepped into that environment, being a, a kid that, you know, adored Chelsea, had all posters on my wall, I was obsessed by the club and then to sign for them, I was just terrified of messing up and making a mistake. And on the pitch, I would sort of pretend that I wanted the ball, go, yeah, yeah, give it to me. But I'd sort of hide behind someone. So it would be impossible for that player to actually give me the ball. But to the outside, it looked like I wanted the ball. But deep down, I was like, don't give it to me because I really don't want to mess up here. And I had phases where I'd come out of it and feel a bit more confident. But the majority of the time I was in that shell of going, right, don't mess up. And I don't know if it goes back as well to I was a defender and your instinct is to protect and not let the other team score. That's your job. You're on the you're on the back foot, you're protecting. Whereas I could see, for instance, if I was a substitute on the bench, I never ever wanted to come on. So I was like, oh my god, if I come on here and mess things up, you're rarely gonna be the hero because you're a defender. The odd time you could be. But I would see strikers on the bench that just could not wait to get on the pitch because they're like their mentality was, I'm going to go and score the winning goal here. And it felt like they had a lot less fear than I did. But I, I'm the same as you. I, I looked at people and I thought, you know, the top footballers in the world can't be thinking like I can. But I've seen some real good instances of, of vulnerability from top level players. And if you look at anyone in the Premier League at the moment and you said, who's the most fearless Premier League player? I guarantee the majority of people would say Erling Haaland at the minute. He, he's you know, he scores more goals than games that he plays. He scores every week. But he's actually a really fascinating character. 
and talks really openly about fear and nervousness and a little bit of worry, but talks about it because he backs it up on the pitch. He feels brave enough to talk about it as a strength, whereas someone that maybe didn't back it up to the level would be a little bit, "Mm, I can't really say this because, you know, people are going to be on my back or it looks like a weakness. But with him, you know it doesn't look like a weakness because of the character that he is. And I've heard him talk about standing in front of a penalty kick and talking about how nervous he's felt and the goalkeeper looks huge and he's worried about missing, the, you know, not scoring. And then the relief when he did score or the relief afterwards. And again, watching that interview, I was like, wow, he's actually got a lot of fear going on here. There's a lot that I didn't see before. He looks just like this, you know, people call him the robot because he just looks like he's not even human. He just looks like nothing faces him. But it showed me exactly the same as you that someone at the top, top level yeah, still has that element of fear. And I think if you are at that top level where there's more eyes on you and more expectations, you probably feel it in different directions than I would have felt it and probably on a larger scale. So you have to you know, have the tools to, to learn to deal with that and the people to educate you and support you around that. And he definitely seems like someone like that. But in my own case, I know that, you know, fear was there, but I let it smother me. I let it consume me. Whereas I knew, I know that it could have been there and I maybe could have harnessed it to produce better performances or to be happier or to feel more self-assured. But I didn't really understand it myself, which is why I'm quite fascinated now to perhaps help other people with it going forwards. Mm. Do you know, I, I think it's that, as you were talking then, I, it really clicked in me. It's, it's the understanding of fear. It's not fear itself. It's the, it's the understanding of your, it's your relationship with it. So, and mm. I, and I'm really interested in whether this is quite specific also to men, you know, everything we've been covering this podcast that men not wanting to show that vulnerability of I'm, I'm not, I haven't got this together. I'm, you know, I'm not strong. I don't, so just you and I thinking fear is weakness whereas fear is actually just a hugely powerful emotion that if understood and harnessed can really drive you forward. Because if you think about it, there's a really primal element to fear, isn't it? The the caveman is scared that he's going to be eaten by the animal. He runs bloody quick, you know, or he he feels the heat of the fire. He doesn't carry on walking towards it. He's I'm going to get burned. And there's a primal element. It's a warning sign, isn't it? But it's interesting how we have maybe shut, you know, we're, we're sharing how we feel about it, how we've, it's been misinterpreted in us in fear. Like I'll give, I'll give you another example, right? I look back on my cricket career and it, I've, I have been asked, in fact, my son once asked me, you know, would there be anything you changed in it? And the one thing I would change for sure is and I, I don't know if I'm going to express this correctly. I wish I'd been more honest about my weaknesses, right? Mm. I remember being at practice when I was at Lancashire, which is Old Trafford. It was a huge, you know, a huge cricket club. I was amongst some fantastic players. I would be at training, nervous to practice a skill that I knew I needed to practice because I would be rubbish at it. That, and therefore, I didn't practice it because I didn't want to look stupid Mm. in front of the coach and the rest of the players because I knew I was rubbish at it. So for for people who understand cricket, I was really good at sweep shots, but I was not very good at hitting over the top. 
I could do sweep shots all day long, back of my hand. So what I would do in practice, I'd be nervous about practicing hitting over the top, even though I needed to, because I think I would look stupid in front of everyone. Everyone go, oh my God, he's not very good at that. And so my own fear prevented me from improving as a player. Whereas I wish I had, if I could go back, I had that honesty to go, yeah, I'm not very good at this. I'm going to be really honest about it and go, how do I improve it? It's mad that you'd be in the middle of a professional career and actually limit what you'd work on based on fear of how you would be perceived by your team and your coach. I don't know. Does that feel as mad as it sounds to me? No, you've just described. As soon as you said that, I had one, literally, if I shut my eyes, I can see the pitch that I'm on, the coach that I'm with. So when I was at Luton, I had to play on the left side and my left foot wasn't great. And I remember I had this one game where I just kept kicking everything out of play and the fans were getting on my back. And I knew that my left foot was a weakness. And the coach, I, I pulled a coach and said, I think he was like the first team coach, so he was like third in line to the manager. And I said, do you, do you mind staying with me and, and doing a bit of my left foot? Because I needed someone to sort of bounce off and feed me the balls and stuff. And I kept doing the same thing, kicking out of play and kicking out of play. And he was making comments like, do you know, just... He didn't know, bless him. He was just like, Jesus Christ. He was like, you got a mate over there standing, like just messing around like coaches do. But inside, I knew this was a weakness and I knew that people were watching me. So exactly like you, I was too scared to let people see me messing up like that. So I just avoided practicing it and got to a game and hope for the best. Or I'd try and do something in a game that I knew I didn't have a great deal of practice on and try and get away with it. And exactly, exactly the same as you, I let that fear of messing up and making a mistake in training, which is what it's for, you know, no supporters watching, it's you and a group to try and get yourself better for the weekend. I let that, and again, a little bit of ego about that as well. I didn't want to, I didn't want to show a weakness, which I, I felt like it was. I didn't want to show anyone that I was nervous, that I was scared, that I was worried about any aspect. And that was always a big thing in in professional sport was, you know, even in a in a changing room before the game, I can remember another instance so clearly where someone threw a program to me, just like the match day program that you'll read before, and I dropped it on the floor. And everyone was, oh God, he's nervous today, he's nervous. I was like, it affected me. But I was like, yeah, I am, I am nervous, but I don't, I'm like, I'm not nervous. I'm really like suppressing it and pushing it down and probably tried to act a certain way to show that I wasn't nervous and there's a real good clip that I use because I'm so conscious that young professional footballers but just young people in general are feeling this level of fear and Gareth Southgate was on a podcast it was with uh, Dr Rangan Chatterjee I think he's called and he talked about fear and talked about his England career was just full of fear he had huge personalities in in his changing room and he said he saw everyone else as just superhuman and that he wasn't as good as them and and felt inferior. And they played a game, I think it was a game that they drew with Italy to qualify for the European Championships. And he said, David Seaman came in after the game, who's this huge figure, like massive hands, big, deep voice man, and was like a real leader of that team. And he said, oh my God, I was so nervous before that game. And he said it after the game. And he said, Gareth Southgate said, oh my God, David Seaman gets nervous before games. And he then just could, he was like, I'm not on my own. And just hearing him talk about that clip of feeling less alone, 
I felt like no one in the team could possibly be as fearful and as nervous as I was. Probably like people in offices or in schools or when they go to a party and they're socially anxious or whatever it might be. You're feeling like no one else could possibly be feeling as as I am. But just noticing that everyone hides it in a different way. You know, he, he talks about David Seaman. He just said he looked indestructible in a changing room. But underneath it, he's feeling really nervous. And we've all got that element of fear or nervousness or anxiety in certain situations. And a lot of us mask it or a lot of us feel like we're the only ones feeling something internally. But it's quite nice knowing that everyone's got some level of fear. It's just, as you said before, harnessing that and having the tools to identify and deal with it and get support around it and talk about it. Because it's something that we don't, especially as men, we don't want to say that we're scared of something or that we're worried or that we're fearful. Why not, though? But if you can have these Why not, though? I know, because, well, just like me and you on the training pitch, probably felt it was weakness. But Mm. again, I listened to someone like Erling Haaland and I'm like, yeah, too right you can talk about it if you're, you know, that's a strength if if you're talking about it like that. Everything you've said, I, I I relate to enormously. It's it's like, and I want to ask us both the question in a second on that nervousness and what we've learned around it. But that question of are you nervous? You know, someone say before a game, are you nervous? Or you know, people listening might be you're about to go for a, a, a job interview or a meeting with your boss or a pitch or, or for a bit of work or whatever it might be or first date. Are you nervous? And why potentially the old Luke and Fraser would have gone, no, no, I'm not nervous. Whereas <laughs> actually we're, we're shitting ourselves and we just don't want to admit it. And <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? It's like, why, why, you know, why do we not do that and not acknowledge it? And I, I've, I've spent a lot of time kind of thinking about that and, I, and it'll relate a lot to my, my my journey coming out of addiction, which we'll talk about. But I, I always say to my, my son and my daughter now when they're, they're, they're about to play their hockey matches is that I say to them, do you feel nervous? And if they say, yeah, I do feel nervous. I say, well, don't don't think that that's a bad feeling. Those Those nerves are just you your mind telling your body to get ready for something that's really important. It's not something that you can you need to interpret as something to be scared of. It's just your your body getting ready for it. And I just think about the amount as I say it, I think about the amount of times that I didn't practice that as an adult, you know, where it's like, are you nervous? No, I'm not nervous. I'm I'm absolutely fine. And I'd be absolutely shitting myself underneath. <laughs> But here's the question for you, Fraser. We're reflecting on all of this on our careers, and now we're not we're not playing sport anymore. Do you feel like you've learned from that now, as the man you are today? Do you feel like you approach it differently? I do. I still I still have my days, and I wouldn't say my days actually because I wouldn't let it consume me for a day. I still have my moments, whether it's ten minutes, whether it's half an hour, where I'll feel that fear and. I'll allow myself to worry and I'll allow myself to project into the future. But I do now know that I have the tools to be able to detach myself from that. And, you know, we, you've been amazing for me for this, where just just having that same way, you know, you know, it'll be all right. It'll be good for us. And I really do have a faith and a real belief that things do work. Things do work out okay. You know, sometimes we can project and worry about all these different scenarios and consequences, which I did as a player, which I did as a young man. 
But actually, it usually turns out all right in the end. And when I come back and I bring myself back to that, when I do feel it and I feel it strongly, my tool is to is to talk about it, is to reach out to you, reach out to another friend. I've probably got five or six people really close to me now that I feel completely comfortable sharing things with and, and talking to. And even if they give me nothing back, they're not telling me you should go and do this, you should go and do that. It's just me identifying it. And, and even if I just write it in a WhatsApp or talk in a voice note and I get it out a little bit, that tends to do quite a bit for me. So I, I still have those moments of fear and those moments of projection, but I try and come back to that one day at a time. I try and be present. And I know a lot of people say that, you know, just live in the moment and be present. But sometimes you can get dragged all over the place. But I do really try and bring myself back to that. And if I find myself getting too consumed, that's usually when I'll go and do something to get into my body. So I'll go to the gym or I'll go for a walk or I'll watch something or listen to something. And that can be a tool for me as well, because I think fear, well, I know it is, it's hugely linked to your nervous system. So when we feel it, you'll, you know, you'll feel your palms sweaty or you're jelly legged or yeah, you're catching your breath and it's hugely linked. So if I can do something that takes me out of that, that really helps me as well. And it's a big reason that I, I began doing ice baths a couple of years back was was purely to combat fear was because every morning I was waking up going this is something that I don't want to do that I'm pretty scared of doing but if I just look at it instead of running away from it which I think is important for fear I think if you actually walk towards it instead of running away from it it can it can have its benefits and I found that huge for me you know physically as well as dealing with the actual underlying issue of why I wanted to do it which was which was all fear-based so I, I still feel it a lot, but I'm much, much better now. And I hope in another 10 years, I'm much, much better again at, at, at dealing with it as well. What was that phrase you said to me the other day when we were talking about getting through tough times in, in someone had sent it? Do you remember? I, I want you to say it. <laughs> no? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was it. It was, uh, you've got 100% record of getting through difficult times. And every single person listening will we'll have that exact same record. You've got 100% record of getting through those difficult times because you're here mm. and you're listening or you're watching or you're talking. And yeah, he, he sent me that and I was like, I just reflected on it. And I was like, wow, yeah, all those difficult moments I've had, I have actually come through the other side. Mm. And so is every other person. So if you are going through it at the minute, look back at those moments that you found really tough before and look back at you know what happened after that and just know that you have got a 100% record at getting through those difficult times. I think it's an amazing, amazing quote. I, I want to kind of give you a bit of background or context around my journey a little bit with understanding and coping with fear. When I, when I went into rehab, I, at that time, if you had asked me, was I fearful of anything? I would have said, absolutely not. I'm a professional cricketer. I'm confident. I'm an alpha. I blah, 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 a load of nonsense. But fear was definitely not on my radar. And what happened in those next 28 days is I discovered that I was absolutely riddled with fear. I was dominated by fear. 
fear consumed me fear of what people thought about me fear of not succeeding fear of making myself look stupid fear of not being liked fear of not being accepted fear of being abandoned fear it was absolutely through everything that i did and it had been hugely powerful for me hugely powerful just as as you're talking about driving me forward but it also eventually become destructive for me and and there's that balance i think between it being hugely powerful emotion but if it's misunderstood and not not you're not honest or aware about it it can eat you up and for me it, it had got to a place where it was completely eating me up and i i know this is a a difficult concept maybe for people to understand and and i do as i say this kind of sit here thinking people go well it's all right for you you're doing this this and this and it's not all right for me i have plenty of challenges in my life plenty of things that don't go right and, and things that can make me feel scared or fearful about the future or what's going on but every time something difficult happens in my life now rather than burying it like i did as that guy who walked into rehab I go, this is good for me. This is good for me. It's good for me that someone is making me feel fearful about something because I'm going to learn from it and I'm going to move past from it. It's good for me. So much so that my really close friend and business partner, Joanna, every time something difficult happens, the first thing I say to her is, this is good for us. And it is. It is good for us. We're going to move forward from it. So it's not to be scared of. It's to be embraced and learn and move forward from it. And what does that do for you? Well, I can only speak on my experience. It sets you free. It sets you free to go. I'm not defined by any one thing happening at one time. So I'm not going to be crippled by fear with by this. I'm going to embrace it. Even if it feels a little bit like heart and mouth type moment, it's like, okay, this is good for me. And I'm able to walk forward from it. It de definitely doesn't mean that I'm not still scared at times or feel fearful. Of course, I woke up this morning feeling fearful about a number of things. But I'm like, as that happens, I check myself and go, it's good for me. I'm going to grow and learn from this and, and be, be able to move forward as a human being. But it's tough. That's a tough thing. I don't know, hearing mm. that phrase, did you, what do you think? Is it, It's a tough thing to embrace, right? Yeah. And my, my biggest fear when I stopped playing football and was going into a new career and there's always been a huge fear of mine since I was in school, was standing up and talking in front of people. And I think a lot of that goes back to when you have to read a page of a book in front of a class and you mess it up. And again, fear dominates that situation. And I carried that with me for a long, long time and then got an opportunity when I came out of football to start talking to groups of, of young players about elements of my career that you know I wish I could have improved on or done better or just any any way to help these but to do it I had to stand up in front of a group and and open my mouth and get my, my message across which I'd never I'd never done before and the longer that went on the more fear I had so I knew that this was something I was eventually going to have to do but then Covid came in so it delayed it for a little bit so I was like right I've got a breather and then things went on Zoom so my breakthrough in talking to big groups was sat in my bedroom on my own on a laptop, clicking all the little Zoom profiles <laughs> to the side so I can't see anyone, <laughs> anyone watching me. And I'll be honest, at this point, I was drinking and on a fair few of those occasions, I'd have a little coffee mug like I've got in my hand with 
a beer in it or something in it for that confidence that I, I felt like I needed at the time to to I was using that to mask the fear that I had and sometimes I was talking to groups of you know 14 year old kids and I I talk about this openly now and honestly now because I realize how it's how it sounds and how how scared I was but I still had that huge fear I was doing this for a little while on on zoom doing it to first teams to you know other groups but I still had a huge fear of standing up doing it face to face I was like what am I going to do with my hands you know I've not got notes around me people are watching me what do I do with my eyes and the longer it went on the longer it went on the more fear I had because I was almost running away from it and then I had my first one it was at I always remember it, it was at Norwich City for a group of under 21s players and the whole week leading up to it I was like oh my god six days to go five days to go counting down worrying all the time and we got to I remember I had a bit of a sleepless night. I was rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing and got to the training ground. And they said, you've got to do a COVID test to come in. And I swear to you here, I would have paid a thousand pound to test positive for COVID. <laughs> I swear. Uh, I, he took my thing and I was like, please test positive here. So I haven't got to do this. And it's not me backing out. It's just him saying, look, you can't go in. And it, I tested negative and I knew I was going to have to go in and do it. And I did it. And I had sweaty armpits and I got through it. And, you know, if I look back, it probably wasn't the most polished I've ever been. But I got through it. And then the next time was a little bit easier. The next time was a little bit easier. And then I slowly developed a confidence. And it's now something I do for a living to big groups of people. Like I stand up on a regular basis. But because I've walked towards it and, you know, I came away from that first one going, right, I didn't die. No one, you know, no one in there thinks you're an absolute idiot and you don't know what you're talking about. Next time you can improve on this. And I carried on gradually doing that. But the first time I did it to a first team group was Aston Villa. And they had Steven Gerrard as manager, who had been in the session. They had, honestly, people like Philip Coutinho, um, Tyrone Mings, like big characters. And this one, I was I was nervous like I've never been before. And I spoke to people before and I spoke to an amazing guy, Danny Donaghy, and we're going to get him on the podcast hopefully soon. I spoke to him about how I was feeling because I was literally shaking on the morning. And If I was doing it to an under, an under 21 group, I didn't really take into consideration who they were. I was just, it was about me and, you know, but this one I was like, all these amazing players just staring at me in this room. So I messaged Danny before and again, it's a tool that I, now I identify it. I, I was dealing with fear by talking to someone about it. I told him how terrified I was and how I felt. And he sent me two words back and he put, tell them. And I was like, don't know about that, Danny. And I remember I sent him a voice note and he sent me one back. And he was like, you're going in there. And the talk that I was giving was about being authentic and a lot about addiction, but, but me being scared to be myself. And he said, tell them. And I, I went in there. And it was one of the first things I said. I was like, I don't know how I'm stood up here doing this in front of you guys. I've, I've not slept for two days. I'm worried about this. And the boys, like, they smiled and they laughed a little bit. I said, I've got a bead of sweat dripping down my top as we speak. But I said, but I'm going to try and get my message across as best I can. And as soon as I said that, the boys in the room were rooting for me. I could see that they wanted me to do well. And they were respectful. They were quiet and came up to me afterwards and I've kept in contact with with a few of them since but I then that that completely changed my perception of fear 
because I owned it and just was completely honest about it. I was like, I'm nervous up here. And the boys didn't see it as a weakness. They they really did. I could feel their energy like cheering me on. And I've really taken that forward with me. I think mm. I've taken that a lot, in, especially in this last year where I've done a lot of that kind of work. I've definitely taken that with me. Instead of trying to hide and pretend that I've got it all together and I've got all the answers, actually saying, yeah, I'm nervous here. I don't have all the answers. I'm not perfect. And owning that has been, yeah, has been a real strength for me. Yeah. I mean, what people won't know, listening to our podcast is, Fraser will back me up on this. At the start of every podcast, I have to do the <laughs> intro bit. And what do I always say, Fraser? <laughs> oh, I'm really nervous. I always say, <laughs> and I do, I get really nervous just before I say it, but I say it out loud. Mm. I think it's, excuse me, Danny saying to you, tell them, it's owning it, it's understanding mm. it, it's not seeing it as a, something you should push down. It's something you should go, okay, here I am, this is where I'm at. But it also goes back to that thing of going, it's good for you. It was really good for you mm. to have that experience, wasn't it? And it's been good for you to talk more yeah. and more because every time you've done it, you felt fear, you've walked towards it. And then the next time you feel less fear and you feel, and you, if that phrase in your head, I'd, if someone's listening to this and has got something big coming up in their lives or has just, or has just gone through something big in their lives. Like it's like talking in front of people. It might be a wedding or a job interview or whatever. And you can have that thing of going, this is good for me. This is going to move me forward as a human being. I promise you it will move you forward as a human being. I absolutely guarantee it. Mm. Fraser is a great example. Look at us. Two, two clouds now talking on a podcast and we're, you know, and we're not we're not crippled by fear too much well I do I am at the start but not generally but it's right isn't it it's good for you it's good for experience it's, it's I think we're saying the same thing fear there's some of it which is good for you be open bring it up to the surface go oh I see this this is powerful this is going to move me forward rather than this being oh, oh this isn't something I should acknowledge mm. and did you did you have that Luke I know you mentioned wedding there and I've just honed in on that did you have fear going into, because part of our drinking, you know, we've talked about addiction, but part of our drinking, there was a huge element of underlying fear, whether in social situations yeah. or Massive. emotional issues that you're going through. And we, you know, we both probably masked it with alcohol. When you remove the alcohol, did you find yourself more fearful in social situations at first? Yes. Yeah. That's a great question because I have to also point out, you know, I, I might, be have a really good relationship with fear now but this is 12 years on since stopping drinking it's definitely it's been a, a working progress you know and I I remember speaking at my first wedding and being absolutely terrified and needing a, and I was drinking then needing a lot to drink and just not being able to drink enough to 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 quell it Whereas now I'm, you know, I'm completely sober and I'm, I'm happy to stand up and talk and make a clown of myself. And, you know, the, it reminds me a little bit, Fraser, I'm going to embarrass you now, but like, um, you know, on your Instagram, you've talked about dancing with Nelly, your daughter, and like how you wouldn't mm, do yeah. that. And dancing is, is a really interesting one. When I, when I was drinking, I definitely would not dance at all until I'd had a certain amount of drinks and then I'd be all right. And actually, I knew deep down that I really liked dancing. I'm probably really embarrassing my kids here. But and now in in a weird way, I'm sober and I will much happier dance sober now than I did when I was drinking. It was almost like the drink was meant to help me with it and it made it worse. And I think it's because essentially it's hiding it. It's pushing it down. 
So just like your thing of hoping you get a COVID yeah. a positive, you were pushing it down rather than acknowledging it. Once you acknowledge it and go, okay, cool, this is how it is, it sort of sets you free, right? I've, I think that's an amazing one to bring up, dancing, because it probably makes everyone smile, even just the thought of it. But I, I think so many men in particular have that exact same fear of dancing mm. and of being at a wedding or a party and what is that fear? If we if we look at it, when you're on the dance floor, for me, it was self-conscious. It was people, oh my God, everyone's looking at me here, thinking, oh God, he can't dance, or he's a bit stiff, or he's this, <laughs> or he's that. And then just that, instead of letting go and actually just enjoying yourself and feeling comfortable to do so, you almost stiffen up and you look around, you're like, oh, I'll be here for one song and then I'll, I need to go back to the bar. When I When I was drinking... I would, I would literally, I remember going, oh, I can't get drunk tonight. Just something, it's yeah. not coming in quick not enough. enough. Yeah. Go to the, go to the bar, go to the bar and do another couple of shots and hope that that, you know, makes me less fearful to go on the dance floor. And when you look at it in a nightclub or something like that in particular, everyone is drunk in there. No one's paying attention to how you're dancing really. But because we think of ourselves as like, we're the center of our own world, aren't we? So we think, all these people are looking at us and judging us and that for me has been a huge one like I've, I've always been terrified of dancing and I'm really keen to to overcome it because I've been at so many weddings and things like that and people have gone oh come up and dance and I look back and it's like family members that I look back and I go I wish I probably would have had a little dance with you that night mm. or I wish I wouldn't have just been oh no no you know it's not for me but it wasn't for not wanting to do it. It was just pure fear. And that was crippling fear. Mm. And I think when I took alcohol away, for me, it made it even worse because I was like, oh, that's my, that's the only thing I've ever had to make me dance. But then again, just like the, just like getting up and doing that talk for the first time, you get up on a dance floor, feel very awkward when everyone else is drinking. And the next time it's <laughs> slightly better. And the moves. next time slightly better. Yeah, and you, <laughs> you start body popping. <laughs> but I'm hoping, yeah, I, I really do. I, I really mm. do hope that that's something that I can just feel free enough just to go, I don't care. Yeah, you know? but do you know what? I, I think, I love the fact that we've got to dancing because it, 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 <laughs> my kids, right, because when they're 18, I'm going to be 50. It's kind of co- coincides. And I'm like, I can't wait for your 18 because I'm going to be dancing in the middle of the dance floor with all your friends. And they're like, no. And they, <laughs> they, they get, they've talked about needing to like strap me to my chair so I can't dance. And genuinely, I will, I will be dancing. I, I will absolutely love it. Yeah, and I'm like, right. what happened to me in that from the guy who, you know, needed to drink eight pints before he'd even consider it to now being completely mm. sober and really happy to dance in front of everyone. I actually think the dancing thing is... I don't think you should view it in isolation, like as in trying to work out why am I worried that people, I think dancing is, a, or not wanting to dance, is a reflection of a build-up of fear. It's like a build-up of tension within you and it gets to that peak moment where it's something essentially which is really fun, which you'd really like to do, and you just can't do it mm. because you've had all this tension build-up of like, what do people think about me? Have I got any rhythm? And my, I don't know, just it's like a, a crescendo, essentially, that gets you to that point where there's this really fun thing to do and you're just crippled by it and you can't do it. And mm. 
I now I, I'm actually as we're talking, I'm trying to articulate what the difference is with me now. And I I'm not sure I can exact essentially, but I just I just don't care. I don't care anymore. I, yeah. I just I'm like, God, if someone laughs at me, it's probably good for me. You know, it probably just humbles me a little bit, yeah. you know, and it's funny and I just don't take it too seriously. But that is a giant leap from where I was before. Oh yeah. And I think it if someone is like standing there laughing at you or, or having a little comment like that, I guarantee you're having a much, much better night than they are if that's what they're doing. <laughs> and I always think about things like that. But I think I think wait, the, the thing that you talk about there is, is just being so much more comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. I think, um, you know, still having insecurities like we've talked about, but just being so much more comfortable and going, yeah, but, you know, I'm not going to let someone else's opinion, probably someone that, I might never see again or someone that I don't really care about. I'm not going to let their, what could possibly be going on inside their head because mm. it probably isn't actually going on inside their head. I'm not going to let them stop me from doing something that I enjoy mm. and something that, again, like you say, it should be fun. If you say Nelly, for instance, is four years old, you put on a bit of music to a four-year-old and naturally they just go with it and they move and they, they don't care. Mm. It's something that socially we sort of learn as we go through school and as we get a bit older and we hear, you know, we take on some of these experiences. But if you're completely free of all those experiences that you build up, then you go back to being that kid that doesn't really care and you want to go out and just dance if you hear a bit of music. So mm. that's what I hope to do anyway. I hope to be... Uh, oh, mate, we'll be busting be like the moves out. We'll be busting the moves out of the kids' birthday <laughs> parties. Don't worry about that. I'd like everyone listening to really like have a, a moment of reflection. Think about how you handle fear and how it sits with you in these sort of situations, whether it is dancing or it's a job interview or whatever it might be. Have a moment to have a think about it because it's really, really important. And as you do that, I want us to talk about how fear within recovery and in both Fraser and I have talked about of recovery from from addiction, how fear is is package for us to learn and understand from it so, so fear can be two different things within recovery it can be it can stand for fuck everything and run or face everything and rise and that's a really important part of of, of a, a recovery journey fuck everything and run or face everything and rise and and how you deal with fear in those two things and that first thing of running of not being open about how powerful fear is in your life, like me when I went into rehab. Essentially, I was running from everything and it caught up with me. But I was trying to run away from fear because I couldn't be honest about it. Versus face everything and rise is much along those lines that Fraser's talking about how he's been public speaking. You know, he faced it. It was tough, but he faced it. It was good for him. He got there and he, he's risen. And Look at him now. And I think those two things are so exceptional at giving us a real neat understanding of, of whether we are dealing with fear in a healthy way or an unhealthy way. How do you feel about that, Fraser? Yeah, and it, it comes back to identifying those fears. Because if you don't know, if you just feel consumed by it, but you don't actually know what it is that's causing it, you can't 
you, you almost can't take action towards it or understand it. But, you know, a huge step in any kind of 12-step program is is that inventory of listing what you're what you're afraid of and listing what your fears are. And for me, I, again, a bit naively, I thought it's not going to be much here. I needed so much paper to list my fears because once I got going, it was like, I'm fearful of this happening, this, this, this. And I just went on and on and on. But now I've almost got them logged in my head. I know what I can be fearful of. And again, like we've talked about, knowing how to deal with that when it does arise. But if you don't know what you're you're fearful of, it can be difficult to pinpoint how you deal with that situation or how you deal with that emotion. So I think that's a big one is, you know, whether it's someone in addiction or not, I think it's a really healthy thing to do to try and identify what those fears might be because you'll have an understanding. Yeah, can I just really say, because I think that's massive, massive, that... Essentially, what you're saying is like that conscious or subconscious feeling of fear. And you're right. In a 12-step program, it really gets you to look at those subconscious things. And and to, to bring that to life, that might be when someone talks to you in a certain way, it it makes you feel an emotion which makes you want to run from it. So, and it, and it might actually boil down to a fear of rejection. So the way someone has spoken to you has made you feel like they're about to reject you and you think, shit, I'm out of here. I'm gone. And it's it's fear that's dominating it, isn't it, Fraser? And that's the thing within that 12-step yeah. program that makes you look at those those things, which mm. if you don't dig into, you just think it's the way you react, but it's actually an underlying fear there. There are a lot of, a lot of people have a certain behavior and they think, why did I do that? Why did I act that way? And then you actually dig down into those underlying reasons and it often does come down to a fear and you can take that i, I was listening to a, a podcast yesterday i'm plugging a lot of other podcasts here. <laughs> <laughs> i was listening to a podcast danny drinkwater who's just retired he won the premier league with leicester he's, he's only 33 he's had a very sort of turbulent career but a lot of his issues came down to fear and it was that fear of abandonment rejection and he'd often play the joker or go out on a night out or try and get as many girls as he could, done for drink driving, all these kind of things that it's an action. He's like, I don't know why I did it. Or he headbutted someone in training. But when he talks about it, so much of it you can identify. There's a, a level of fear there. It's come out in a different behavior. Like you said about the crescendo with the dancing, it's, it might be a buildup of all these sort of micro things that come out in an action. But when you can sort of identify, it's like, he and he, he seems really self-aware actually now. Mm. But he was like, I know that this is probably why I did that or where the fear was. But it came out in a behaviour that he couldn't really understand why he was doing it at the time. Yeah. Well, let's get him on the podcast, Fraser. That would be a, it'd be a great guest to have. Mm. Yeah, I, I actually think mm. a great example for that for me in my life now in, in business stuff is often I can see that someone is reacting in a way because they're fearful of money of the financial situation so within a business environment or work the way they're reacting to something going on at work which you think oh that's a that's a little bit out there but actually if you 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 peel it back you can see that there's a stress financial stress there that they are fearful of not having enough or being cut off and and it creates a reaction which if it's misunderstood in a similar way to Danny Drinkwater, it's misunderstood as essentially him behaving like an idiot. 
but actually there's a fear within it and in in a business sense it it sounds like someone's being a bit horrible to someone else or overreacting to a situation you peel it back you're like okay but they're actually just scared of money and behind all of those actions is often some sort of underlying fear and i think the more that we're able to see that in ourselves and be really honest about that i mean you know in our our world of 12 step stuff is they call it brutal honesty you know it's being brutally honest with yourself the more you can do that the more you can then see that in other people and you can be empathetic to to the way that someone's reacting rather than being judgmental on it and go there's probably a fear underlying it and when you go to that person and i have done within work and go look just tell me you're a little bit worried about money at the moment and then they go oh yeah, do you know what I am actually? You're there, you're there, you're halfway there, and you go, let's deal with that stress. And we deal with that stress, and then the behavior changes because that was really what was triggering it. Mm. If there was a list of top five, I'd say money would be right up right up there for most people. Yeah. And again, even talking to someone like Danny, who works a lot with really high achieving people, you know, I've I've talked to him previously about my own, you know, financial worries and stuff like that. And he said you wouldn't believe some of the multi-million pound people that he deals with, multi-millionaires, they have just as much fear of losing it all. So their fear is about losing what they've built, whereas someone else, it's a fear of not having enough money or not getting to that point or paying bills at the end of the month. So a lot of fear, even if you get to a ridiculous level of wealth, knowing that some of those guys are still actually quite driven by the fear of losing it all but i think i think that would be one that would be up there mm. i think the other one would be health and family but again it's it's identifying those knowing that you're not alone and i i i, I always try and bring myself back to what good is it going to do me to think about this scenario and play it out and worry and stress about something that hasn't happened yet mm. that probably won't happen and like we came back to before, you know, you get through 100% of those difficult times that you've had. Usually it turns out okay in whatever form that takes. And does the actual fear of worrying and getting stressed about it do anything to help? Not really. It just makes the physical body. And I've listened to this quite a lot. Like the physical body doesn't know the difference. Your body doesn't know the difference between what's being projected in your head and what's actually happening. So if you're thinking or you know in your head of this wild animal coming towards you your body's in that flight mode of oh my god this is actually happening whereas it's not happening Mm. but the body doesn't know the difference and again that's another going down a a bit of a different tangent and stuff but it's it's why i'm really am probably tell we're both passionate about this the way that we've just talked here for almost an hour but it really is a, a topic that just fascinates me because like we've talked about everyone feels it to some degree you know for some it cripples for some, they harness it, but we all do feel it. So it's all something that we, you know, we should really talk about. Yeah, definitely. And that's why we're doing this is because as much as any podcast we've done up till now, I really want you listening to reflect on this. Have some time to have a think about your relationship with fear. Are you honest about it? You know, there's no, ju- you know, I, I'm asking these questions with no judgment, but are you honest about how you feel, how you harness it? And do you approach the what what ifs in life 
terrified you know do you walk around worried that it's going to rain someone once described it to me as that it's like worrying about the what ifs is like just walking around worrying it's going to rain and do you look at it like that or are you able to consider or do you even have it right now but are you able to consider a mindset that says it's good for me whatever's next is going to be good for me I'm going to move forward I'm going to develop if you can have that mindset to anything that's happening, is my relationship going to break down? Desperately don't want it to break down for whatever reason. But if it does, you're probably going to grow as a person. Okay, so you, you might not at this moment in time go, yeah, it's good for me, but it might well be good for you. And and I really want you to have some time just to just to have a think about that now as we come to the end of this podcast. I think that's really important. Fraser, do you want to add anything more before we start to wrap this up? No, I just, I really enjoyed that. And I like that that part that you just said there about walking around, hoping it's not going to rain. I think that's a really, I enjoy things that visually I can sort of picture quite simply. And it is it's so, it's so true. And we often do that. And if, if you were to do that every day, most of the time, it you know, you'll be all right. And it doesn't. And even if it does rain, so what you get a bit wet it's good for you and then you're back on it's good for you yeah you learn to get your umbrella <laughs> right everyone well well thank you very much for fraser awesome as ever love chatting through that Thanks for listening to the Understanding Men podcast. You can find us on all major social platforms, including Spotify, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. And we will be promoting every episode via our own personal social media channel. So please come and find us. As we've always said, we want this podcast to be as interactive as possible. So please comment, message us about things that you want to talk about, how you felt about a particular episode, theme within the episode. I've been blown away by the amount of interaction we get on that. And it actually reminded me during this episode that someone did prompt us to talk about money more. And I think we should definitely do an episode on on relationship with money, which I think is super important. Also, if you've liked what you've heard, then please go ahead and hit the follow button so you never miss an episode. And lastly, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then please leave us a review. And of course, a five-star one would be wonderful and help other people find us. So thank you and goodbye for now.